Hello, this is Lorenzo Della Foresta, and I'm the lead pastor at River's Edge. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us. I hope this talk inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Today is the continuation of a spiritual conversation that has been taking place between you and Jesus. I'm certain that you'll be blessed by His Word, and I believe that God has great things in store for you because you already belong. Enjoy the message. Today, as we talk about this continuation of that Easter story, we're going to see that we're all on an unexpected road trip with Jesus. It's not something that any of us may have planned, and it's not something that you would have envisioned, but it is something that all of us, whether we come to that realization or not, we eventually do. I believe that but not always in the moment, that we have been journeying with Jesus longer than we ever fully grasped. And that's what happens in this story. And so let's take a look as we talk about this unexpected road trip that's found in Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 13. And it says that that same day that two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And then they talked and they discussed these things. And in the original language, when it says uh, talked and discussed, it actually means that they tossed about words. They were actually arguing. And so Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? And they stopped short, sadness written across their faces. And one of them, Cleopas, who historically people believe in in most of the Christian traditions that he was actually the uncle of Jesus. You must be the only person in all of Jerusalem who hasn't heard about the things that have happened there the last few days. What things, Jesus asked? The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. And we had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. And then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing. And they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. But yet, they leave. But yet, they leave. They didn't stay to find out. I think that's important. Some of our men even ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. And then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. 
wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? And then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And remember, they had seven miles. And by this time, they were nearing Emmaus, and at the end of their journey, Jesus acted as if he was going to continue walking, going on. But they begged him, stay the night with us, since it is getting late. And so, upon their invitation, he went home with them. And as they sat down to eat, he then does something that is familiar in other parts of the scriptures. He took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and then he gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And at the moment, he disappeared. He was gone, just like that, nowhere to be found. And then they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road? And he explained the scriptures to us. And they're referring to what happens when the Holy Spirit begins to do a work in our lives. When our hearts are being touched and our eyes are beginning to finally see the very things that are being described. And within the hour, they were back to Jerusalem. They made their way back. They didn't stay in the mass. They didn't stay home. They went back. And they found the 11 disciples because Judas is no longer with them. And the others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord has really risen. Can we say amen to the reading of his word? It's a beautiful story, isn't it? And it gives us some insight in what can happen, not just in the life of the disciples who had a powerful experience with Jesus, but what can also happen in our own lives when we're not understanding how God is at work. You see, the first thing that we notice in the story is that they actually were able to leave Jerusalem and Jesus behind. And you can tell by their contentious argument on the road that what they are doing is that he is doing what you would expect to happen in a moment like this where there is such confusion. They have heard the reports, they have heard the news, but yet it isn't enough to convince them. And I think sometimes in our own spiritual journey, we're like that. We're, we're just not totally convinced. We, we've had experiences, we want to believe, but there just isn't enough to hook us. There isn't enough to convince us. There isn't enough there for us to feel like we've got this, we understand this. I'm never turning back on this. I am never going to leave Jesus like others have. And yet in the story, we see that it is possible 
to have direct access to Jesus just like they did and even direct access to the 11. To the 11 who had seen it all, who had experienced it firsthand for three and a half years. They had imminent knowledge and experience. They had had the scriptures explained to them before. And yet, in spite of the fact that they had had all these experiences, they still leave Jerusalem and Jesus behind. I don't know if you've ever, at some point, left Jesus behind. You just decided that he wasn't worth it and that everything that you believed for whatever reason just wasn't going to be enough. That Jesus wasn't going to be enough. That what you had experienced wasn't enough. And you made the decision to move on. This is exactly what's happening in this story. They had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah, but then Jesus presented himself in a way that they couldn't accept. You see, the thing that bothers so many is the fact that the Messiah suffered. It's the fact that Jesus suffered. The fact that God would send a suffering servant. But, but when you understand who God is throughout the scriptures, you understand that he is distinct and different from every other God in any other religion. In that, he is the only God who allows himself to suffer. See, God suffers so that we would understand that this is a suffering God who understands our suffering. We don't need a God who doesn't understand our suffering. We need a God who is compassionate, merciful, and cares about our suffering. And what God does is that he shows himself as the suffering Messiah so that we would understand that no matter what it is that we are going through in this life, Jesus Christ is the only one who can take away our suffering because he's the only one who experienced it, who knows it and understands it. There's no other God in the world who suffered like Jesus did. There's no other God in the world who would send his son to suffer like Jesus did. There's no other God in any other world that would ever do anything in this world like Jesus did. And that's why when we think about this, we say, this has got to be one of the things that convinces us. One of the things that makes this true. One of the things that makes it different than anything else. And we know that they're struggling with this because they're no longer seeing him as the Messiah. You see, there's a point where they call him prophet. They relegate him to a lower designation. And that's what other people do too. In other faiths and other religions, they recognize who Jesus was in this world, both as a historical and as a spiritual figure. They do. They get it. But here's what they don't get, is that he doesn't just come as a prophet. He comes as the promised king. Amen. You see, prophet is just one of his titles. Prophet is just one of the prophecies regarding who he is. It isn't the only one. And so when you designate someone a prophet, you're showing them honor and respect, but you're not able to consider that they are more. And so you box Jesus in into a place in your spiritual journey that is convenient for you. 
And I'm wondering, where is it in your life that Jesus is occupying a specific box and place in your spiritual journey? I mean, is he truly the Messiah? Is he the risen king or is he just a prophet? And sometimes I live my life every day like he is just a good teacher, that he has good morals, that if I was to put into practice what it means to truly love my neighbor and put myself out there and love people the way that he wants me to, then Jesus is only that, a prophet. But if I want him to be more than a prophet, then I need to see him as the one who was raised from the dead. And in that power is able to live in us in a way that he can bring about a new life in all phases of our life. Not just in the areas where we work hard, where we are committed to coaching, where we are dedicated to being mentored, where we are applying ourselves to increase our knowledge, where we are studying so that we can have breakthroughs. But when we get to a place where you see Jesus as more than just a knowledge factory and more than just someone who did good deeds, someone who may have performed miracles or maybe they're just allegories and maybe just metaphors and maybe they're just stories and they're just examples to help us believe in something other than that which is material that which can only be solved scientifically, that which can only be resolved intellectually, then we might come to the place where we realize that the supernatural is always not just a part of Jesus, but it's always a part of our lives. That just because our eyes are not open to see it, it doesn't mean that it isn't there. On the day in which Jesus had already risen from the dead, they were arguing still about how they couldn't believe that he had. See, sometimes that happens to us. We get lost and stuck because we have put Jesus into a category where he is just a prophet. The Messiah couldn't have been crucified and died. That's not how we were taught. That's not what we understand. That's not what we believed. That's not what we ushered him into Jerusalem for. The Messiah wouldn't have been the scandalous one. He wouldn't have experienced the excruciating and scandalous death on the cross. That's not for our Messiah. That's not the way we prove to the world that we are God's people. Not through someone who dies on the cross. But remember that God prophesied these things through his own people. He told them that the suffering of the Messiah would have to come. He told them that that was the only way that he could communicate to the world that someone had to become the last sacrifice. That the temple and everything that would be offered on the altar would one day be replaced by the spotless Lamb of God. That Lamb is Jesus Christ. And his death is what made it possible for all of us to have our sins taken away. Not just one time a year. Not just when the temple would one day be restored. And the sacrifices resumed. But 
right now, in this moment, by putting our faith and trust in Jesus. You see, Jesus comes unrecognized among the lost. And this is how you know you're lost when you can't recognize who Jesus is. I don't want to offend anyone here because I too was lost. And I don't think I liked hearing the words, the reason you don't believe is because you're lost. And then it was okay because the time finally came when I too experienced what it's like for God to open my eyes. And now I proudly say, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I, I don't have a problem with someone telling me that sometimes, even today, I can lose my way. I don't like it when someone feels superior to me and points out my shortcomings and, and tells me where it is that I'm not measuring up. I don't like it when someone reveals to me the brokenness that is still present in my life. I don't like it when they tell me where I am falling short. I don't like being lost. But now I understand when that happens, it's because God still wants me to be found. And in the area of my life where I am lost, he wants to do a work in me. And if I will humble myself, God can do that work. And he will use anyone and anything to bring it to my attention. And so Jesus is always unrecognized among the lost. But here's the beautiful thing is that the, the mercy of God coming to them is revealed because Jesus reveals the mercy of God by coming to the two people who left Jerusalem and Jesus behind. See, Jesus shows up to the people that rejected him. He shows up to the ones who are leaving him behind. They've already made the decision that he was not the promised one, that he's not the Messiah, that he's not the one that they had been seeking and waiting for. And so they left. And who does God go to? He goes to the ones that leave him. Can we say amen to that? Amen. Can, can, you, can you get that, that, that you were that person, that Jesus came to find you? And then he walked with us, and, and, and we didn't recognize him. You see, the good shepherd goes after the one. We sing this, we've heard this, we've read this, and some of us have come to believe it and understand it. And so he talks about how he has 100 sheep, but the good shepherd leaves the 99 behind to go after the one that is lost. He doesn't just protect the 99, but he goes after the one. And that tells us that there isn't anyone who isn't important to God. I know it looks irresponsible when you leave 99, but you see, when you're the good shepherd, you have made provision to protect the 99 when you go out for the one. See, when you're the good shepherd, you don't have to worry about the 99 because God's heart and concern isn't that he is incapable of caring for the 99. His heart and concern is that there is one who's about to be lost. And so our mind says it's irresponsible to leave the 99, forget about the one, let them have their experiences, let them go and knock up against every barrier and every boundary 
Let them experience all the brokenness in this world. Let them get hurt as much as they possibly can. Let them hit rock bottom. Let them be in a place where they can finally realize how far they are from the blessing that is God. And then maybe they're going to come back to him. But you know what God does? He walks among the lost every day. You see, the story of Emmaus is so powerful because there's never a moment that he's not with us. There's never a moment he's not walking with us, the lost. You see that? And he's doing everything to reveal and open our eyes to understand who he is in the journey that we're on. Those seven miles represent a perfect number that is seven. The number seven in the Bible speaks of a covenant. A covenant goes beyond a contract. A covenant can never be broken. It is unto death. Contracts can be broken and you can continue to live. But covenants cannot be broken. The only result, if you break a covenant, is death. See, when God speaks of a covenant with his people, he's saying, I am with you always. There will never be a moment when I am not with you. And so think about how Jesus isn't just with those who believe. Why isn't he in Jerusalem with those who are already convinced? Why isn't he with those that already believe and are already forming the church? Where is Jesus? Jesus is with the lost. Jesus is with the lost. Now, Jesus can be everywhere, but he is with the lost. And why is he with them? He wants them to find their way back to faith. And when you find your way back to faith, here's what happens. You end up back in Jerusalem. You band up in the city of God. You're back where you need to be, the center of where faith exists. See, Jerusalem is a representation of the presence of God, and it's a representation of what it means to be in a covenant relationship. It represents where the church was going to be, where it was going to be birthed from. All the acts of the apostles are going to take place first in Jerusalem, and then they're going to expand to other regions of the earth. But before that can happen, the church needs to gather. Everyone who has had an experience of having been reached, even though they've been lost. Listen, if you feel lost today, I want you to know that Jesus is walking with you. Always has. Always will. Because he has made a covenant with you. Amen. And that covenant cannot be broken. It will not be broken. He's going to pursue you into every city you go. No matter how far you go, he will go with you. Wherever it is that you decide to go, he is going to come to you and walk with you. And he's going to be on this unexpected road trip with you. This one that is your journey to faith and experiencing his favor again. And you need to see that on this day, Jesus is already resurrected. And they're talking about it, aren't they? 
It's hard to find someone who hasn't heard that Jesus has risen from the dead. True or not true? I think most people have heard it. I think we've done a good job of getting that message out. I think we haven't failed in that. But I think we failed in living the power of the resurrection. I think we failed in being good examples as followers of Christ. I think we failed in being a church that is a reflection of who Jesus is. I think we failed as leaders and failed as pastors and failed as, as just followers of Jesus in this regard. But I think that most people today have heard this message, just like they did. But it wasn't enough to convince them. You see, we just had Easter, and the convinced gathered and said, He is risen. But there's a lot of people who don't believe that He is, still, today. And we need to understand that Jesus is just as interested in us as He is in them. And thank God, because otherwise, we would never be here today. We would never be in this place. And so whenever we think that we're better, we're more, we're higher, and others are lost and lower and lesser, then we need to understand that that is never true. Because we see Jesus purposely journeying with those who are lost and opening the scriptures to them so that they too can be found. And so Jesus is resurrected on a day in which they still are struggling to believe it. And we exist for that as a church. We exist as that people who have believed in him. As people who want to receive others into our spiritual journey to help them have that same experience. And I love that they continue reflecting on a past that is no longer their present reality. And I think what happens is that we get stuck there. We get stuck in the past. Have you ever been stuck in the past? Have you ever struggled to get over something? Are you even so wrought by tragedy and trauma that it's just hard to get over? I, I think we all have, and I think there's some things in our lives that are deeply rooted, and it takes a little more time to uproot them, to tear them out, so that they no longer have the strength they once did in our lives. So that whenever they do appear again, I want you to think of it like the analogy of the weeds that Jesus spoke about. He says that sometimes his word, like seeds, is sown, and it's sown among the weeds and the tares. And, and there are times when the weeds choke out the good wheat, the fruit that God wants it to bear in our lives. But there are too many weeds there. The weeds are a reflection of the things that choke out the promises of God and the freedom that he has for us. It's a reflection of the past and the things that hold us back from experiencing new things and having the kind of harvest that God wants you to have in your life. When you, when you think about your desires, when you call them your wishes, when you speak of them as your hopes and your dreams, God calls that his favor. He calls that his blessing. 
But what happens is that the weeds in our life choke those things out from ever being able to take root and to grow. I want you to look at your life differently today. I want you to examine your past and see it for what it is. And acknowledge whether or not there are weeds there that are choking out the blessing of God. And when you see those weeds, I want you to identify what that weed is called. Because weed is just a general term to describe something that is invasive and foreign to what is supposed to be there, to what is supposed to grow. But if you cannot name that weed, there is no way that you're going to be able to uproot the weed. And when you uproot the weed, it is because God has opened your eyes to see it for what it is. And what Jesus does for these two travelers on this unexpected road trip is that he opens the scriptures and he spends the next seven miles showing them the difference between weeds and wheat. And he exposes the weeds in their life so that they can finally get to the place where the wheat can grow healthy and produce the grain that will give them the bread that Jesus is then able to bless and to break and to feed them with. That cannot happen unless we identify the weeds that are choking out the wheat that produces the bread that Jesus wants to bless and break and bring multiplication into our lives. Are you ready for that? We have got to stop being choked out by the weeds. We have to stop allowing the weeds to devastate our harvest. We have to stop allowing the weeds to overtake the wheat that God has sown into our lives. And don't tell me you're gluten-free because this is not the point. <laughs> and you've given up wheat and bread and all the rest. We know that... <laughs> Weed is no longer the same, but let's just get past that for a moment. See, they can't see that he's alive. They can't see because their eyes won't be opened. But the only way our eyes can be opened if we stop believing our lies and we start believing his scriptures. See, Jesus took the scriptures to open their eyes. And, 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 I'm, and I mean, he had to take them through it. Listen, when I started to study the scriptures, I began to understand. My eyes began to open. All of a sudden, every way that I was lost, I started to see why and, and how I could be found. But it wasn't because I found my way out of it. It was because God had already given me the way out. And I just needed to see it. 
You know, we keep looking for a way out when the scriptures already reveal the way out. And, and, and when we understand how the scriptures are key in finding the way out, well, then we are going to see that Jesus is already resurrected. We're going to be able to start understanding that. And that's what happened for those two lost disciples. They began to see it. They began to reflect and understand that Jesus was alive. And when Jesus opens the scriptures to us, well, he enters and he breaks and he blesses. But he can only do that when he's invited. Now, remember that one point in the story they said, stay with us. And, and we saw that before they said, stay with us, there was a moment where Jesus was just going to keep walking. It's because they neared their home. And then I think that there's this, there's understanding in us that tells us that there's certain things that to us are home. Until we understand that what Jesus wants to do is come into our home and turn our home into a blessing like never before. And so sometimes we look at wherever it is that we're heading and that's home. So as they neared Emmaus, that's home. And so in their hearts, they were going home. And so until they actually said, Jesus, stay with me, stay with us, come and eat with us, it's getting dark, be with us, until they made that invitation, Jesus now had revealed himself as their home. See, Jesus in Revelations 3.20 says that he stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. And that unless you open that door and let him in, he cannot enter and have a meal with you. And so the handle on the door that Jesus is knocking on is only on our side. And so unless you open the door on your side, Jesus can't come in. He needs to be invited. And so I need you to invite him into your heart right now. I need him to invite him into your life, into your home. I need him to invite him into all the areas of your life where he has been kept out and has only been in a specific understanding of who Jesus is and what he has meant to you before. When you invite him in, that's when your eyes can be opened. That's when he chooses to show you what you never could have seen before. But it has to happen on your invitation. And then through the scriptures and through the supper of him taking the bread, blessing and breaking it, all of our eyes can be opened. We can see things like never before have insights that we've never had before, experience healing and freedom like never before. But it's only going to happen through the scriptures and through the supper.
See, the scriptures and the supper are key. The scriptures that teach, but the supper that speaks of the relationship. The scriptures give us the knowledge, but the supper gives us communion. The scriptures speak of the covenant, but the supper makes the covenant alive. You see, when you have the scriptures, if you don't have the supper, Jesus can't be alive. But if you combine the scriptures and the supper, then Jesus is alive for all of us. He is alive for you, and he is alive for me. When those two things are together, Jesus is risen indeed. Amen? <laughs> Jesus is risen indeed. And that's what he wants to do for each of us. Today, Lord, I thank you for each person that is here and for the way that you have walked with us. Oh, how you keep walking with us. That even when we leave Jerusalem for some other place, oh, you come after us, you appear to us, you journey with us. Thank you for showing us the scriptures and exposing the weeds and telling us what it looks like, God, to harvest the wheat that you have promised. We've tried to bring goodness and blessing into our lives only to see us fail time and time again or to see it just taken away and or devastated by the things of this world. Lord, I pray that every person here today would experience this newfound understanding of what it looks like to live in relationship with you through the scriptures and the supper. That together, Lord, we would have the fullness of what it means to be your disciples who believe that you have risen from the dead. You have risen for each of us. You are alive today for all of us. And you are going to bless us like never before. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us on the River's Edge podcast. I encourage you to take the message you have just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the work that only he can do. A heartfelt thank you to all those that generously give to River's Edge and make this podcast possible. You too can be a part of spreading this message and creating life change all over the world by going to riversedge.life slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast. Thanks again for listening, and God bless you immensely.